Welcome to the She Built This podcast, where we are sharing the stories of professionals and entrepreneurs who are on a mission to create the new norm by following their dreams and making them a reality. I'm your host, Emily Aborn, and together we are inspiring, growing, and giving you the tools you need to bring ideas to life so you can build whatever this means for you. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I am continuing on our theme of communication, and we're going to be chatting with conversion copywriter and coach Aaron Alilla. We're going to get into, in this conversation, what you need to consider from a communication standpoint when it comes to the client journey and experience some uh, of Aaron's tips and tools to make it make it so that working with you is smoother and better every single step of the way. We're also going to talk about how Erin has navigated owning her own business as a person with ADHD and how she uses it as a superpower for her clients. And if you know who I am, because you're a regular listener, or if this is your first time here, you know that I'm Emily Aborn. I'm the owner and founder of She Built This, and I'm a freelance writer myself. So I just kind of want to drop in here this little nugget that there is value of in collaborating with others, even if they're in your industry. Because while there are tons of people out there who do exactly what you do, no one does it quite like you. And Aaron and I are a great example of how two people who have a lot of services in common actually are not in competition with one another and do not need to be. Erin Alilla is a lover of ice cream, especially in non-dairy forms, and she believes in the power of words and how a message can inform and even transform its intended audience. When she's not working with big brands and small businesses to marry strategy, storytelling, and SEO, you can find her hosting the Talk Copy to Me podcast or exploring southeastern Massachusetts with her family and friends. All right. There is so much good stuff in this episode, so I hope you enjoy my conversation. You might want to have a pen and paper handy or at least the notes app on your phone, Um, but I really think that you're going to love that everything Aaron has to say about customer communication and how it really helps um, guide the entire process and experience for your customers on the other end. Hi, Erin, and welcome to the She Built This podcast. Hi, Emily. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I am very excited. This is going to be like a nerd fest, I feel. Um, I'm I'm here for that. Based on the story you just told me about the local library, I'm like, okay, we are going to get along great, and this is going to be very nerdy. (laughs) Yeah, how Um, long do we have on this today? Do we have a few hours for this podcast, or are we just talking for a short time? Because we can make it last hours. Yeah, exactly. Let's take all the time we need, and we'll just see what happens. There might be a part one and part two. Um. All right, so I read your bio before you joined us, but I love to hear in your own words, like who you are, what you do, maybe like, you know, what you wanted to be when you grew up, stuff like that. Like, tell us all the fun stuff that brought you to where you are today. Oh, absolutely. What a fun question. Um, So when I was younger, I wanted to be everything when I grew up. Um, Name a job and I was there for it. Um, I was raised in the Catholic Church and I went to a Catholic school as a young child. So I thought that I would grow up and be a priest. And I was really, I mean, you you should have probably known I was a feminist at an early age without knowing what feminine 
feminism was because I was so insulted that there were no female priests. And I would regularly talk about that with like my third grade teacher who just was not there for this conversation in any way, shape or form. But I was just assuming because like I thought like, well, hey, if I believe, like, why not give me the job? Um, I'm definitely convincing and I can speak in front of an audience well. But nope. So that just didn't go my plan, which is totally okay. I am very glad I'm not a priest at this point in my life. But I just remember being like an elementary school child who was like completely livid at the idea that one of my teachers, like not one of my teachers, but like the entire religion wanted to hold me down. And I knew it. Like I didn't know what feminism was and I didn't really know that like, you know, I was going to grow up and just have very strong feelings about these things. But at the time I was like, this is ridiculous. Let me talk to your superiors because something has to change here. I mean, hopefully you got a word in with him, so. (laughs) No, unfortunately not. I mean, as you can tell, things still haven't changed in the Catholic Church. Um, But in in truth, I was just a very multi-passionate kid who, you know, was raised by great parents who really helped me believe that I could do mostly anything I put my mind to. Um, One of the things I really wanted to do was to write and to teach like my entire life. I wrote stories when I, before I could write, my mom would just write the words down for me. I would draw the pictures, Um, went to school to, in my undergrad, knowing I wanted to teach and write and then got my graduate degree in creative writing as well, thinking that I would teach in um, colleges. And it is very hard to both get college teaching jobs and then make a living from those college teaching jobs unless you're tenured. So after graduating with my MFA, I've always loved marketing. It was something that I um, minored in in my undergraduate career. And I started working for some big brands who needed help with content and transitioned over to copywriting because I, at the time, was just entering the you know online world of small business ownership and realized how difficult it is to wear 517 hats as a small business owner, specifically a solopreneur. And I really just wanted to help people who were in similar situations as I was, meaning like, you know, online business owners who just didn't know how to market their own stuff or were not strong copywriters to create websites and additional content that would really help get them in front of their ideal audience. And I know that you talk openly about this, so I hope it's okay that I ask. You talk about um, ADHD being like a a superpower of yours. And I know a lot of listeners are either self-diagnosed with ADHD tendencies or um, have been officially diagnosed with ADHD. So I'd love to hear like how you have kind of even turned that into a superpower and not oh, let that's it, such not, a great question. Not let it hold you back. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great question. And in all honesty, I am the most transparent open book. It's like a value of my life and my business to just be, you know, honest and open and transparent. So you can ask me anything on this conversation, Emily, and I will answer it. I promise. Um, as for ADHD, I was diagnosed later on in life. I was in my late twenties probably when I was diagnosed. And it just made a lot of sense. Um, You know, females are diagnosed in a lower rate than boys and and men because when um, like all of the uh, what's, I guess, diagnoses tools for ADHD came out, they were all really focused on young boys and how they presented. And often females present very differently. So unfortunately, females get um, underdiagnosed. And for me in particular, I wasn't hyperactive. It was more of a mental thing. Like I, I you know, suffer from a lot of brain fog or um, in certain instances, a type of mem- memory recollection. 
And I was excited to get diagnosed because I am the full believer that the more we know about ourselves, the better we're able to approach life in general. Um, I, at the time, was, I think it was nice to get diagnosed because I was struggling in general. And I felt like, you know, here I am, a smart individual, like a motivated individual, but like, I'm just struggling. Like, I feel like I was like, um, have you ever seen those carousels like, like in Martha's Vineyard, let's say maybe where you go around and around and you keep reaching for like the, the it's not like a gold ring, but some type of a ring and you can collect it if you're on the carousel. That's how my brain felt. Like, like my thoughts were just circling and I knew what my thoughts were, but I couldn't collect that little token of a thought and use it well. Um, so I mean, that was my history of ADHD. I was able to go on medicine for a while, which was immensely helpful. And doing that really helped me um, determine the skills that worked well for me and then how to create strategies in my life for the things that I struggled with. Um, For the longest time, I was off ADHD medicine. So it's been really nice to be a person who is diagnosed, understands them well, and having long periods of being both on medicine and off medicine to know how that that helps. But in regards to a superpower, I think, you know, ADHD or any other type of diagnosis, whether it's physical or mental, I think that we can look at the the what's presented to us and determine how to use it to us and use it in our own best interest or like I said the skills that we need to learn to adjust to make our ourselves present differently. So one thing about ADHD that people often don't know is that you have a hyper focus for certain things on ADHD. And for me in particular, one of the one of the ways that presents is things like strategy or ideation. Um, I can sit there for hours and hours and hours and hours at a time coming up with plans, doing some like research. So in my case, it'll be like voice of client research or SEO research, um, developing entire content plans for my clients. And I can do it with like really barely any thought. Like it doesn't tax me. It's just like exciting. And like I said, it's hyper focused. So I'm just in the zone and I am enjoying every second of it. Um, So that's where I would say it's my superpower is that I'm able to open more of a like creative brain and really dive deep into it. Whereas I think it's a struggle for non, I mean, for neuro, what is it? I'm neurodiverse. So like neurotypical, yeah, for neurotypical people might have a harder time um, doing those things that I'm able to do. And then for the things that I struggle with, I've just learned, you know, how to develop the systems to make it easier on myself so that way I can spend more time in my zone of genius and less time in the the areas where I struggle. Yeah, I love that. And I think even a quote unquote neurotypical person, which I'm not even sure those really exist anymore, but um, even a neurotypical person, it's like we can learn the things, the systems and the tools that spark creativity and inspiration and set us up for those situations where we work best and use them as our superpower. So like no matter what your your hang up is um i feel like and not calling things hang ups i don't know if that's right <laughs> no i know what you mean though okay. no matter what you're struggling with yeah 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 um you can use that to like i think unlock another layer of creativity if you if you really use it wisely Yep, absolutely. And again, like you said, you know, the things that you don't, you just develop those systems. Like for me in particular, one of the the ways that I would struggle is all of the um, 
tiny minutia of client management. Like client experience is like a huge part of my business and something I've researched heavily and wrote heavily about throughout the years. So I always aim to have like exceed expectations. But little things such as like sending an email at a specific time or, um, you know, maybe like messaging before in, uh, invoices due to, as a reminder, all those manual tasks were very tedious for me. And again, it was memory based. So unless I set up a system where I would be like reminded, like a task manager system, it was really hard to do that. So what one way I got around that was automating my systems. So now I'm very confident that I can exceed expectations because I know when all of the automations are working for me. And I get I've set it up so that way I get noticed if the automations are failing. So all of my clients are getting what they need when they need. And me not having to worry about that anymore saves all of that mental space for things that I am better at. So, you know, again, whether it's ADHD or any other type of thing that you bring of yourself into your business, I think that instead of seeing them as hindrances, because I think most people do, right? Like we all, I mean, don't get me wrong. There are things about my ADHD that I struggle with and I still feel like, oh gosh, you know, I'm 37 years old, which I think I am. I'd have to do my math to know if that's actually how old I am right now. But like, I'm 37 years old. Why can't I do this better? Like, why am I struggling with this? So I get that there is a mindset thing with it, but I am very confident in saying that the way that I have shifted my feeling about my own ADHD is to truly see it as a superpower and not as something that's holding me back. And when I approach it in that way, I think my output, my interest in my work, my skill delivery is just so much vastly better than when I see it as something that holds me back as a business owner. I think you probably couldn't have set me up better for kind of like where I want the conversation to go. So yes. I, yeah, I think I really want to talk about like this whole client experience. And in my, um, in my opinion and my view, and I'm always saying this to my clients, like your content is part of the customer experience because that's also how they're like interacting with you throughout the, throughout the process from the time yes. they hit your website or your social media or read your blog through the end. I want to bring up one more um, really cool thing I heard at a networking event. This woman named Emily Nichols, uh, she said, hey, wouldn't it be fun if at a networking event, instead of just like the small talk and like talking about the weather and stuff like that, we made it a little bit more of like a um, getting to know your client onboarding processes of each other so that when you yeah. when you go to refer somebody, you know that that person has like a really good onboarding process in place. And I was like, okay, I love this. <laughs> and this needs to be a whole conversation amongst like peer-to-peer -peer business owners, you know? And so I said, I'm going to bring this to my conversation with Aaron and we're off. So yes, but, no, yeah. I have such a valuable point to make to that. I'm so glad that you shared that with me. One thing I feel like, so, you know, I, I've already told you my, my basic history of my education, my experience. Um, I should basically say before starting my business about six years ago, I was just traditionally employed working in administrative type jobs, you know, higher level. So I get the world of business, but I was never, ever trained on how to own a business. So even though I have owned my business for six years now, I will tell anyone, like, sometimes I feel like I have no clue what I'm doing. And, you know, like, I think people rush in to, like, help you feel like you do. Like, oh, my God, of course you do. You've had such a successful business. And I have. And that's great. But I still feel like, I don't know, I think 
when we grow up, we're just we're always taught how to do the thing, right? Here's how you behave in school. Here's how you learn math, right? But when you enter the small business world, unless you have an MBA or you have like an immediate mentor who's helping you, there's we're just all winging everything we do. And it has been in these six years, my absolute biggest pet peeve that like online business owners are not more um, transparent and open and helpful with each other. I love the idea of mentoring. I love the idea of coaching, but I still feel like on a one-to-one networking level, like we all have close business friends. And even in some of those instances, I'm always like, well, let's just tell each other what we're doing and help each other figure this all out, right? So I love the idea of like at a networking event, like just taking one piece of your client experience, whether it's the onboarding or the offboarding, because there's so many important things that you can do from even a mark, of course, my my series talking to me, um, even like from a marketing aspect of the things that you can do to give your clients a better experience. So I think that like we really should band together more as business owners to just make this so much easier for each other. Agreed. What is the biggest mistake that you see people making or missing maybe when it comes to customer experience? Let's start there. Yeah, no, that's a great, I mean, honestly, and this is a cop out, but it's really just not considering it when it comes to like the foundations of business. I think when most business owners think about customer experience, they uh, like equate that with customer service and it is a very different thing. Um, I like to tell people to think of customer service as the follow-up for things that have happened in business, whether they're good or bad. You know, like most people think of customer service and they think of calming people who have had not the best experience. Um, but, you know, customer service itself could be like celebrating with clients who have had, you know, big wins in your business. Whereas though, customer experience or client experience really has to be the process of working with someone and what that experience was like at all touch points and just the general process as a whole. Um, So just looking at me for a website copywriter as an example, I meet with leads usually over discovery calls to find out if I am the right person for them and as well as if I want to onboard their project. So that is the initial, well, I wouldn't say that's the initial customer experience. I'm going to say that's customer experience number two, and I promise I'll jump backward. Um, But then after we decide to work together, there is an entire onboarding experience. And what we should do is use that time to educate our clients on expectations and boundaries, because when everyone is very clear on what to expect throughout everyone being both the service provider or, or, you know, product owner and the customer, then we can all actually improve or exceed those expectations because we set them from the original state. Um, Then there's throughout the project, the offboarding, and then there's also the past client management, which I think people forget as well. But just to jump back quickly and not to ramble on forever, really what I think people don't recognize is everything before the um, lead becomes an official lead is still experience related. So I guess you could call it lead experience or audience experience. But you said something earlier about like the type of content that we create really does encourage the lead and like sets the tone for what type of experience they should expect. And that determines whether or not they'll reach out to you or not. So that's how you, um, your presence on social media, if you have a presence. It's the copy on your website and the content that you create 
whether that be blog content or podcast or whatever it is. But like the tone of who you are will attract the right people, repel the wrong people. And again, it will set that tone for what to expect when they do move on to official lead or official clients of yours later on. Okay. I have a question on the onboarding, which I agree with you. That's the time to educate and set boundaries. And if you miss that, then it can be really it can be really hard for you to do your work effectively. And it can also um I think it just ends up being like a bad experience because expectations are mismanaged. I wanna know when it comes to onboarding, and I would love to hear if you find this too people are not reading everything, right? So like you might have your boundaries spelled out or something written down in a contract. What is like the best way to kind of like meet lots of people where they're at in the way that they consume that that yeah. to make for a better experience? Because I don't think that everybody is reading every single word of your contract that says, I only answer my emails from 10 to 5. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. And this is something that actually goes back to copywriting as a whole. I think a lot of people don't consider the role like the the copywriter can play with when it comes to um, customer experience or the marketer can play, I should say, because what what we need to do is we need to um, repeat the same message multiple times in multiple ways so that the end user can like receive that message in the way that works best for them. So for example, like just taking like business hours as an example, we could have like um, maybe part of our contract when we're working, we could have that in a welcome email or maybe like a welcome like um handbook or something that we're giving them. Again, a lot of that's all written. So people are skimmers. So we need to get more comfortable with the idea that we need to say things multiple times and that's okay. We're not like treating our clients like babies. If anything, we're giving them more opportunities to understand how things happen. And we can look at that from our own perspective of being busy business owners or just busy humans. You know, we need a lot of reminders on things and that doesn't mean that we're not able to um, follow the rules. It just means that there's a lot of things on our mind. So the other thing I want to point out is it doesn't all have to be written. So one thing I started doing with my um, welcome tasks that are automated was including a video that also said a lot of what was written. Um, A lot of the times my clients will listen to like a two or three minute video that will say like, hey, I'm so excited to be working with you. Like, here's your welcome guide. Um, It relays everything that you can expect about this process, this timeline, and how we're going to work together. But if you want the quick TLDR, here's the exact, you know, experience you can expect. And it's just, it's like, I treat it kind of like bullet points. So again, I'm not on video like, you know, banging them over the head with this information, but it's just a few quick points that are reminding them in a different way from a written experience. Um, And then, like I said, you know, we really do want to continue to tell them throughout the process. So maybe that's during a check-in. You know, in my instance, I will hand over a full draft of a website about two weeks after we start writing. So at that point, I like to kind of give them an overview, like, hey, if you remember from our project outline, you know, like the research is done, the full draft is written, and now we're moving into that revision phase. And here's what you can expect from the revision phase. And I've already told them this. Like I talked to them about this on the discovery call. So it was a one-to-one conversation. It is in my contract. And then it's in that like TLDR video I've created for them. But 
people like to hear it because now we've moved into a new phase and it's helpful just as a reminder at that point. I think this is really uh, helpful for me to like, I have a lot of these pieces in place. I think I need to do a video because I think you're so right. Like not everybody, not everybody consumes content by reading it. And I love writing things and reading things. So I just like in my brain, I'm like, that's how everyone does it. (laughs) Same. And I, I would say for me, the only time I ever saw a project go like, like, not as I expected it to in business was simply because like those clients were the ones and that ended up not really reading what I gave them. So originally I would feel frustrated because like, you know, we all have our own egos, right? So I'd be like, why aren't they reading what I give them? But then I realized, you know, like, again, like you're saying, we don't all process things the same ways. So that's why I started the videos because I knew that those particular clients that were struggling in that instance always got like, the situation resolved when we had like face-to-face time. So I figured like maybe I'll try this and then it did work. Um, So I keep it in there. Even if someone happens to be a reader, they don't have to watch the video, right? They'll still read if they want to read. But originally, I just want to put this point out for you. I was very worried that filming these videos would, would mess with that whole automated system I created. Remember, I created it because of my ADHD and just knowing that I wasn't the greatest at Um, manual check-ins and things like that. But it actually was, I think, you know, made the whole situation better because like now I have a task that tells me, hey, Erin, this entire workflow is about to get started. Like it's on you to set the stage in a really positive way from the beginning. So film that like happy Erin video and like be excited about onboarding them because you're setting the stage. And I think just looking at it from that perspective, like Now I feel encouraged. Like, I don't feel like, oh, my gosh, this is a task. What if I forget this task? It's it's a task, but it's also like, again, setting the stage for like a great like potential business friendship that I'm I'm creating with the people that I work with. Yeah, I love it. Um, and then I want to touch back to the past client management too, because I think that's something that we don't consider enough. And I'd love to hear your take on that. Yeah, no, that is such a great, I'm glad you brought me back there. So uh, most people, when they think of past clients, they are like the end of projects. They always just think of that immediate onboarding phase. But really our client journeys for many business can be cyclical. And even if they don't come back to work with you, like as a service provider, um, nurturing that relationship helps them to be cheerleaders for your business. Uh, whether it be like they're giving you testimonials or maybe like just checking in on you socially or whether it be that like you're always present on top of mine so that when someone says, hey, I need an X service provider, they automatically think of you and they are encouraged to refer, refer clients back to you. So the way that we can approach past client management is to, if you're automating things, set up reminder emails that have like an approval for so that way you know you can personalize them that go out at like different checkpoints. So for my clients, as an example, I will offboard my website clients and then they immediately go into the web designer project phase, which means their websites don't go live the second that I send them their copy. So I will usually check in with them about like a month to a month and a half after working with them just to see if they need any help during that end of design phase, meaning like I can jump in, look at the design, give any recommendations if I'm noticing that the message is changed based on how the design's created. Um, Another reminder that I'll have will be like, 
two to three months. And I set that absolutely on approval just because if they haven't alerted me that their website is live, I want to check in because I want to celebrate my clients. Uh, one for a self, like a selfless way of just enjoying the work with them. And one from a selfish way of wanting to write a case study about our work together. I obviously need their new website to do that. Moving forward, when it comes to more of a like complete nurturing relationship, let's say, and this timeline really is not determined by any specific reason, it is just guessed at, so you might need to guess at it for your own business, but maybe it's like nine months later, I check in to just see like, how are you doing? Like, you know, do you need any help? Here are the ways that I've worked with other clients after our website have launched. You know, maybe that's something we can do together. Maybe like four months after that, I'll do another check in to just be like, just thinking of you. Like if you need any um, help, let me know. If not, maybe you have some someone in your network. I'm always happy to help them with their copywriting needs. Um, and even those checkpoints that I've just mentioned, they, they are more sales specific. I'm literally, you can just check in and be like, hey, you're on my mind. How's things going with you? I hope it was well because I just loved working with you. Because it's fine to check in with clients. And I think a lot of the times um, people feel like they're nagging our, like you're nagging your clients if you check in with them when the project is done. But I mean, that would be weird, right? Like if you had someone come to your house to provide a quick service, let's say someone skim coated your walls, you might not necessarily want to check in with them or have them check in with you to be like, hey, you know, you still drinking that flavor of coffee you used to share with me? Because like, (laughs) because you haven't developed that relationship, let's say. But like if you have like if you have someone check in with you and like they knew that after skim coating the walls you were also going to be like wanting someone to help you paint them or you were going to need someone to I don't know help you with carpets or like an interior designer maybe they could just touch base and say like hey did you find a designer yet I know this person I work with them you know like I absolutely recommend them and I'd be happy to introduce you to like that's just like a nice way to continue to nurture the relationship you have with that client and to potentially introduce them to new people. So I think it's just like try to figure out the ways that you can be of service and continue the relationship, whether it's to benefit you or to benefit them. Um, All right. Do you on your website recommend having like I've heard this go both ways. Do you recommend having a my process page or your whole process like written out on your website? How would you how would you recommend we kind of like start thinking about that? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think I always joke with people, or at least I have been joking later, that if I chose to get buried, I would want my tombstone to say two words because I feel like that is all that I say over and over and over again in business. And those two words are, it depends. So I promise that when I say them, um, not copying out, I can explain the answer to that. Um, There's really a three-tier approach to like including processes. And it's dependent on your business and the offerings that you have for your business. Now, let's just say you were a wedding photographer and you only did weddings. Like you didn't do families, you didn't do individual portraits, branding, anything like that. I would recommend having a full process on your website so that way the people who are reviewing you can ask you less questions. Because what I found when working with the photographers that I've, I've worked with 
and being a former bride, even though it's been a while, um, what happens in the wedding industry is you as the consumer have to research so many people and then keep track of the potential vendors you'd like to work with. But so many vendors have like, um, have you contact them before they give you any information about your business. Whereas there is a smaller bucket of uh, vendors that do share information. Now, what happens is if you as the consumer find those uh, vendors and you're like, okay, Joe does this, Sarah does that, Michael does this, all of those other people that are putting up like like a a non-paid paid wall of having to like, you know, share information, they're going to just get forgotten about because there are photographers that they are considering working with who are upfront and open about things. And I mean, I can see pricing being one of those things that potentially might get hidden just because of the industry. But in the situation of like, they want to know what it's like to work with you because your competition is vast. Mm -hmm. So if you can show what it's like to work with you in a field like that, where you're already competing against so many other people and you only have that one offer, then absolutely create a process page because it will get reviewed. Um, When you do create that process page, the key is, even though we want to give all the information possible, we do not want to overwhelm our not even yet leads with too much information. So keep it around what the consumer is considering before, like, getting in touch with you to work with you. You know, like maybe it's timeline. How many hours are you at a a wedding? When do you start? Like, is it like in the morning when the brides are getting ready or do you just jump in at the ceremony itself? Like all of those things should be put on a process page as well as an overall project timeline. Like, do you do engagements? Well, that obviously comes before the wedding day. Um, Is there a process when it comes to payment? Like, will you be able to offer... Um, information for them about like how to prep for the wedding, what poses need to be done before the day of. So that can all go on the process page because it will give them the immediate information they need to know how you work. But save all of the like minute details like I will check in with you two days before to make sure you handed this in. Like, sure, like you can tell them that later, but like tell them like the key touch points on that one process page. Okay. Option number t- option number two is if you have more than one offer, then do not put a process page because it will be very confusing. I guarantee all of those offers do not have the exact same process. Um, using myself as an example, I offer really two two to three major touch points to come into my business. It's either done for you websites, copy coaching, or VIP days. So. In my done-for-you websites, like I have a full, clear process that almost never gets changed unless anything gets added to um, a project. So that I can have on my website page for the done-for-you website copy. Now, for the other things, copy coaching itself is usually completely customized to the client. So the process would be determined on the relationship. So I don't have that on the page. But whereas VIP days, I mean... They're pretty standard how I operate as well. So I can make a small section of process on that page if I choose to. Um, And just to sum it up, I know I've been talking for a lot. The final option is not to put it on your website, but to keep it in your proposal. And there are many reasons why people would choose to do this. One, specifically, if you already have too much information on your website and the process itself is standard. Um, Let's see a web designer maybe. 
they might have a very quick overview on what the project will look like. Let's say it's like a 30-day time, fr- time frame. They will get one page to review first, and then the next phase is like the whole website. They might just have that in like three bullet points on their page, but their process on the proposal, as an example, will overview like exactly what happens in each phase, um, each touch point that the client has with them. So again, just a quick review. Yes, have a project page if you have one very specific offering. Um, If you have multiple offerings, you can either put it just on the individual offerings page or not at all if it's something that needs to be customized. And the third option is just put it on a proposal and not on your website um, if it's something that's either standard or, again, something that has to be completely customized. Yeah. And I think you can always, you know, if you do choose to only put it in your proposal, which is a totally valid choice, um, I think you can allude to the fact that you have a process. And I think that can help to give people the confidence because chances are, unless somebody is like one of those people that is reading every last word, they're not reading every last word of your process on your website. So you can save yes. it for the proposal, which is and think, just like allude to the fact that there is a strong process there. I think the key too is knowing the type of clients that come into your business. Um, you know, a lot of the times this gets discussed with sales pages, but websites can be considered in the same way. Like what level of awareness are your clients coming to you when they find you? If they need to be completely educated about like what you're offering and who you are, then you have to have more copy on the page. And I would only suggest doing that if all of your clients are just finding t- finding you and like learning about how you can help them. Now, in the complete opposite perspective, if you have clients who are very well aware and are looking for the services that you're offering, even if they're the like, I read every sentence type of people, they don't want to be like completely bombarded with information they already know. Like you don't have to convince them at that point. You just need to show them like how to make the, like how to work with you in a simple manner. Um, because if you then give just way too much information, what you're doing is you're overwhelming them at that point. And they're not going to reach out simply because they feel like, well, this person, if like I can't make it through her page, like, yes, I know I need her services. But if I can't even like make it through this web page without feeling like she is just educating me on everything I already know, then what will it be like to work with her? Is she going to like completely like go round and around and around when I just need something to be done? You know, like that's that's how they're going to look at too much information. So knowing the type of level of awareness your client has or level of readiness to purchase can help you make those decisions on what you include on the page. Yeah. And so I love this as just like a full picture of the client experience starting on in your copy on your website. If I, if I, I just want to ask you like one more question before we do the roundup, if you could say, all right, here's one thing to go look at your website and implement right away when it comes to considering user experience, um, what would that be? Oh, that is a great question. I would say make sure that you're talking to your clients themselves on your website and not talking about yourself and your business. And there are ways that we can check this on every single page of your site. Um, Just one that seems obvious is your about page. And I always rant on this. Like your about page is not about you. It is about showing the person, like your audience, 
that you are the right person to help them with whatever it is that they're seeking. So yes, of course you need to introduce yourself. Of course you need to share your merit badges. Um, of course you need to share like that you understand their current situation and that you have the tools or the skills to take them from that situation to wherever they need to go. But a lot of people on their about page will have like it immediately start and it's like about Erin, about Emily. And that is the absolute opposite of what you should do. Um, what you should do is speak directly to them. Like, you know, like let's pretend um, it's that just web copy as an example. Like, you know, you need a site and you just don't know what to write. Like, again, super general corny headline. But instead of saying like about Erin, like I could say that. And then my immediate follow up is like, great news. You don't have to know what to write. I can write it for you. You know, I'm Erin. I do X, Y, Z. Here's my experience. Here's my education. This is exactly why you should hire me. Um, and then if we look at every page of our website and we do that quickly, like, am I speaking to my client on my homepage? Am I directing them to where they need to go on my homepage so that way they can work through my site? Because I'd say that was the last real customer or lead experience that we haven't really discussed is your website should really like direct your client to the place that they need to be. For some um, audience members, it could be just to consume more content from you. So maybe a podcast page or a blog page. But for other people, it could say like, you know, like, are you like in my case, are you looking for done for you website copy? Cool. He, let's go to this page where I can tell you more about it. But if you look at every page and you think to yourself, like, if I am the consumer, if I am my audience member and I'm reading this, do I feel like this service provider, which is technically you, do I feel like they're speaking to me? Do I feel like they're acknowledging where I am and what I need? And if the answer to that is no, then those are the things that you should start making adjustments on. So that way you can build a better connection immediately with the audience. And if you do that, it not only makes the entire sales process so much easier because you were clear, concise, you spoke to them, but it also really starts that client relationship on such a solid like standing because they trust you. Before they work with you, they know that like you understand how where they are at and that you're you're able to get them to where they want to be. Yeah. Um so I want you to share at the end if somebody can't figure that out for themselves how you can help them with that. But let's do a quick rapid roundup. Um what was the last thing that you I hope you're ready for these are you ready for these no I don't know but I really like to be unready I feel like that's when you get the most exciting answer okay. so I'm just giving like shoot at me Emily give me everything you okay. got what was the last thing you googled oh what was the last thing I googled I think it was about pet abandonment and I will preface this by saying I write for two large dog brands and one of the pieces of content that I am writing is literally about like what to do in the instance of like if your family member abandons a pet. Um, but I would like to po point out here that I watch a lot of like true crime TV so I am always constantly wondering what it would be like to have like my Google search like subpoenaed because it is the most outrageously weird type of Google search. I think I, I feel like I am just one of the 1% of the weirdest Google searches in the wor world because I again ADHD a lot of thoughts go through my mind at all times and I need to know the answer to them like I don't know if that's part of ADHD or just part of my personality but like if I am curious about like 
who created the stapler. I will need to stop what I'm doing to find out who created the stapler and for what reason did they create the stapler. So all day long, I am searching both personal and professional things. And it's a weird bunch of things that I'm searching. Mine's a weird bunch too. And I think it would be fun to like do a little deep dive into people's Google searches someday. But although I write for some very interesting people and I'm like, I have to Google some weird stuff. Um, all right. What is your favorite afternoon pick me up if you're feeling like the two o'clock slump? Um, okay. So I would love to, I don't feel like this is the best, uh, I don't think I have one, but I can say why. I have one child home with me, two children at school, and I work full time out of my house with no childcare. So my days are very like um, broken up. So I think the reason I don't have an afternoon slump is simply because like there's it's like every 15 minutes, something new changes. So I would say right now, the beaut- my afternoon pick-me-up is just the fact that my schedule is like interrupted so often if like it's forced on me, let's say. So like when I think afternoon pick-me-up, I think, okay, well, that's probably around the time I have to get Caroline off the bus. So I can take a little bit of a break from work at that point, you know, check out what she has for homework, like encourage her or help her to like get her set up for school. And then I'll go back to work to do my own thing. So it's literally a pickup. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. All right. You were like, your brain worked a little quicker on that than mine did. <laughs> All right. What is your favorite tool in your business? Okay. Um, My favorite tool in my business, I would say probably just the Google suite, which I in some way don't know if I want to admit that, but like, I love that I'm able to access things in different places. Um, but separately that from that, like I like I mentioned before, I love Dubsado. Um, I love any and every SEO tool and I can get lost in them. So yeah, those are those are a handful for you. Okay, great. Um, now and I and I'm also a Google girl, so like if they do want to sponsor this episode, <laughs> yes, Google, gonna, please gonna, contact yeah, Emily. We won't stop them. <laughs> um, all right. So if somebody's like looking on their website and they want to do everything that you talked about, but they're like, I can't figure out if I'm speaking to the person or just what I want to say, yep. how can they find and connect with you online and what sort of ways can you help them? Sure. Um, they connect with me on Instagram because I love to meet new people. And I find that when I am on Instagram, it's more of a like communication tool than a sales tool for me. It's really just getting to know people. But then when it comes to working with me, definitely head over to my website, erinolula.com. And it is segmented based on my clients' needs. So again, for the done for you clients, there's a page that helps them understand how I work with them. Uh, for the done with you clients, you know, the different ways to work with me for copy coaching would be just like quick phone calls to review almost anything. Or I do a lot of collaborative work on VIP days. Like I'll help people look at the like the current draft that they have of their website and we can actually like write it together. So maybe it's I move things around. Like one of the things I find people need the most help with if they're good copywriters but not necessarily marketers is they've written good content. It's just not organized in the way that the end user would want to read it. So I have a lot of fun moving drafts around and like helping clients get to a finished draft just just based on like something they've already created themselves. Um, I'm, I also have my own podcast, which is the Talk Copy to Me podcast, which is actually how em- Emily and I met, which is very exciting because she left me the kindest review. And I was like, I need to know her. I like her and I need to know her. <laughs> Your Talk Copy to Me podcast is so good. And I want to say like if people are listening and they're like, ooh, I want to deep dive into each of these pieces more. 
I love your series on like your website because it's really like you could literally put headphones on, sit there with your website and and it's like an audio course. Yeah. So thank thank you so much, Erin. This was great and super informative. And um, I'm I think we're gonna probably need to do a part two. So I'm I'm here you. for it. Thank you so much for okay. having me, Emily. This was just so fun to be on your show. Thanks, Erin. To learn more about She Built This and to join our community and get involved for yourself, visit www.shebuiltthis.org.